Well, it is written, it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. The famous French atheist Voltaire lived a life surrounded by God's word. He heard the word. He knew the word. He had been confronted with the word of salvation. And yet his heart was hard. His words were blasphemous. He mocked God all the way to the end. But the end came. He died a frightening death. He cried out over and over again, I must die abandoned of God and of men. How horrifying. I'll never forget the very first seminary class I ever attended. A man by the name of Dr. Bud Powell addressed us with a very simple and yet profound statement. He said, brothers, our dealings are always and ultimately with the Lord Almighty. Whether you're an atheist or whether you're a believer, our dealings are always with the Lord Almighty. But you see, as God's special possession, the the bride of Christ, we believers, we owe him everything. We owe him our all in all. He owns us by way of creation and by redemption. And as such, as objects of his amazing grace, his costly grace, we must, we must live lives of active faith that rests in Christ alone for salvation, yet never rests from living for him. So we must struggle, we must strive daily to receive his gifts and daily to regard his warnings and daily to run the pilgrim race that he leads us through. And that's where we find ourselves in this divine letter to the Hebrews, the charge of God to the church filled with gospel promises and gospel warnings for us. The author of Hebrews, he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He has warned them. He warned the original receivers of this letter. God's covenant of grace and Messiah is the only thing worth holding on to, worth trusting in. The only thing because of Christ our Savior. And just as it was for the people of Israel of old, who beheld all the glorious mighty miracles of God, the deliverer for them, saving them out of bondage, out of Egypt, taking them through the Red Sea, giving them the promise of Messiah to come. And Paul declares resolutely, they drank from the same rock that we drink from, the rock of Christ. The rock is Christ. And yet, they failed to believe the Lord to love him, to trust him, to obey him. And their hearts grew hard and cold and they fell away and they died and they were judged and they never entered the promised land. And sadly, among the Hebrew church, they found life in Christ and faith in Christ too hard. And so they grew cold in heart and they turned away and they abandoned the Lord. How tragic but the call goes out today don't turn away hold fast to Christ who is our only hope he's the fulfillment of God's word of promise he drank the cup of cursing 
that we might drink the cup of blessing in him, take hold of life, take hold of Christ. Hear God's word, chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this brings us to our first main point this morning, brothers and sisters. Believers must struggle and strive daily to live lives of active faith in Christ. We must struggle and strive daily to live lives of active faith in Christ. This is what verse 11 shows us. Let us strive, therefore, to enter the rest. The author now draws to conclusion his long-running argument that started in chapter 1. We must enter the gospel rest. We must take hold of Christ. We must rest in him alone for salvation and for life and for peace. And out of that, we must live lives of active faith in Christ each and every day. You know, when we hear the word rest, we don't think strive or struggle, do we? And when we hear the word faith, you know, as good reformed believers, we don't think strive and struggle because we think of sola fide. The great watchword of the Reformation, by faith alone. Faith alone in the finished work of Christ alone, not our labors. We can't add anything to salvation. It's a free gift in Christ. But we must always make the distinction that the word of God makes for us and the reality of the gift of faith, that it is both passive and active. It's both a passive faith in receiving and resting in Christ, but it's also out of that a living faith that receives and strives and struggles all the way through this life, this life of sanctification. We have to remember the rest of the story that Martin Luther declared. Yes, we're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. So we must be about the life of putting off sin and temptation and the old man and the flesh and putting on Christ and the new man and the life of peace and obedience in the Lord. We must fan into flames the Holy Spirit, the gift of God that fills us because of Christ. We must struggle and strive to live lives of active faith. You see, this is a very real warning to us, brothers and sisters. We have to receive it as such. If we do not live a life of active faith that confesses Christ day by day, that seeks Christ day by day, that seeks to obey Christ day by day, we will drift, we will fade, and we will eventually fall. That's the real warning here. You know, when a big tree falls in the forest, it's not usually because of one big storm. Have you all noticed all the big, glorious, old pine trees around Fayette County that are now on the ground? Have you noticed that? 
You walk by a beautiful old pine tree and you see it, it looks healthy, it looks good, it looks strong, and then a season goes by and you notice some little holes in it. And another season goes by and there's more holes and around the trunk there's this dust. And then one day it comes, the crash and the fall. What caused the fall didn't happen overnight. It was subtle. The beetles were eating at the heart of the pine. And then the crash came, the fall came. You see, that's what the author is warning us against, being attacked in our souls that we turn away and we're cut off from the source of our life in Christ slowly, day by day, as we live lives of disobedience and unbelief, and then the fall comes. We must notice the way the authors changed the word here to emphasize the warning. I hope you notice this. At first, he speaks of the unbelief of Israel in the wilderness. We've heard about that through chapter 3 and into 4. And now he switches to the word disobedience. Unbelief is sin, and it leads to greater and greater disobedience. And what it means to be a child of God at the very fundamental core nature of being a child of God is to believe God, to believe his word of promise. You know, nothing angers a father more than when a child doesn't believe his word of promise. So the attack, it began right at the beginning, didn't it? God spoke his word of promise of blessing for obedience and cursing for disobedience to Adam and Eve. And what did Satan do? He came straight away and challenged the word. Did God really say that? So what are we to do? As we live this life of act of faith, we, we must believe God. We must rest in Christ alone. And we must get busy living lives of act of faith. And that's what verse 11 is showing us. It's necessary that we do our best that we strive and we struggle to keep on keeping on, keep on entering into the rest of Christ day by day through faith and repentance. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is our Sabbath rest. So not just on Sunday, but every day we're clinging to Christ by confession, faith, obedience. This is the application. Let's strive and struggle out of the grace of God to live active faith in him, to look to Christ alone, to hold to Christ, confessing with our mouths, confessing with our lives, showing forth the reality of it with repentance and new obedience and godly sorrow as we press on in this world. But you see, brothers and sisters, sadly, so many professing Christians have this wrong because of false teaching that is rampant throughout the church of today because of this predominant false message that since salvation is a free gift by grace, we just receive it, then we're just floating along in life. It's like the lazy day river shooting the hooch on one of those inner tubes. Easy peasy. Ah, yeah, sin's not good, but no need to battle it. We're in grace. Grace, grace, grace. Well, you see, this couldn't be farther from the truth. Just consider how different physical birth is from this false view of cheap grace in the Christian life. You know, we're not born into the world with a yawn and kicking back. It's with a cry 
And then the struggle and the striving to live begins. Isn't that the way it is? So too, the authentic Christian life on the path to eternal rest. As we live out of God's grace and walk by faith, there are trials, there are temptations that seek to destroy us and derail our journey of active faith to get us to despair. So we must use the gifts and the tools of God's grace that he gives to us to press on in lives of active faith. That brings us to our second main point this morning. Believers must struggle and strive daily to use the gifts and tools that inform and strengthen faith. We must daily use the gifts and tools that inform and strengthen our faith. That's part of the struggle. Use the gifts. That's what we have right here in verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, this glorious gift. Peter declares to us in 1 Peter 1, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. Think about that. Active faith receives God's grace and rests in Christ and rejoices in all the good gifts. The gift of the Lord that keeps on giving. The gift of the word of the Lord. The holy word. The eternal word. The word of power, all because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. All the gifts come to us because of Christ, the word, the living word, the incarnate word that was born. And the word lived righteously for us. And the word suffered and died upon the cross for our sin and our shame and our judgment. And the word was raised in glory and power on the third day for us and ascended on high so that the word authority and a power could pour forth the Holy Spirit to seal it to our hearts forever and evermore that we might live lives of active faith. And part of that is clothing us in the armor of the word. Have you ever thought about that? The gift that just keeps on giving. The gift of gospel power. Paul declares the word of the gospel is power. It's the power of God unto salvation. And this power clothes us that we might struggle and strive in our life of active faith. The gift that just keeps on giving. The holy armor of God. Think about it. The belt of truth is the living and active word of God. God's word holds all things together. It is the coherence and the power of the universe. It's God breathed for us, delivered unto us because of Christ. And it's profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness so that the man or the woman of God are thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word. The belt of truth. How about the breastplate of righteousness? Is the word of righteousness. You know, the longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119, and it is all about the word of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The gift of righteousness what about the gift of gospel peace it is the word of peace when the apostles came preaching in acts after the resurrection of christ they declared as for the word that he sent to israel 
preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord over all, the word of peace. We run in peace. It's the shoes that we wear. How about the shield of faith? It's the word of faith. The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. You see the pattern here? The gift that just keeps on giving? How about the word of salvation? The helmet of salvation. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, the word of salvation, the helmet of salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And then there's the glorious sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, living and active and two-edged. God's holy Word of promise, the gift and the tools given to us in Christ, the gift that just keeps on giving that we might struggle and strive in this life for Him. And what's the other gift? It's prayer. And what do we pray? We pray the Word of God. Brothers and sisters, as we live our lives, we go to the scriptures and we mine them for the precious promises of God so that in the midst of our experience and our struggles and our striving, these promises given to us in Christ, they bubble up in our hearts and souls and minds and we lay them before the Father in the name of the Son and by the power of the Spirit, we say, give me what I need to struggle and strive and to live the life of active faith, praying the word at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication for me and for you and for all of our needs. You see the living and active word of God, it's the gift that just keeps on giving for us as we walk down that rocky and narrow and hard path of faith. We need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God's word and to cast our cares on him, to cast our burdens on him to seek his face, and to know that he loves us more than we could ever imagine because he did not spare his only son to save us and to sanctify us. The word made flesh for us. Well, that's the application, brothers and sisters. Are you resting in Christ alone for salvation so that you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to use the gospel gifts, to run in the way of the gospel gifts, the tools to live a life of active faith? Are you marinating your heart and your soul and your mind in the word of power and truth and salvation? That's what we need to be about as we walk this road. And as we do that, we experience more grace and more joy. And we will heed the gospel warnings more and more. And that's our final thought this morning. Believers must receive and heed the warnings given to the faithful. The end of 12 and 13. We must receive and heed the warnings given to the faithful. So what are the warnings given to active faith? Well, the two-edged sword that cuts and probes and pierces the heart and the reality that God knows all and God sees all as the Lord over all. We're warned that God's word of blessing and cursing pierces and probes every aspect of our lives. 
That's why we want to spread the word across the globe with the Gideons, because we want God's word to do its work, and it will. For here's the declaration, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. We are given a fearful picture here of the Lord God Almighty, who is a warrior king. The greatest, most powerful, awesome warrior king that ever walked the face of the earth. And his word is a two-edged sword. You know, the image of Christ in the end in Revelation is his word comes out of his mouth. It's his tongue. It cuts. The powerful word, the probing word, the exposing word. It comes and it exposes our sin, our hearts, our unbelief, our doubts our fears, and even our indifference to Christ, all so that we can repent and bring them yet again to Jesus and receive forgiveness and experience more grace upon grace. This is one of those key verses that if you're in a Bible memory program, you know, as a kid or VBS, it's like way up there, isn't it? Isn't it? I hope you memorize this as a child. But you know, when I memorized this verse as a kid, I did a really good job of depersonalizing it. Oh yeah, God's word, it's like a sword. There it is on the ground over there, in the sheath. Okay. But you see, we have to see who this one is that the sword is attached to. And that's what we're shown here. Christ the warrior king, he wields this sword and, and he pokes and prods and divides and lays bare our hearts and those hidden places. He lays bare and open the hidden places of our minds, our, our hearts, our motives, our feelings. You know, in our modern day and age, with all the technologically advanced weapons that we have, like video games, you know, men and women hang out in air-conditioned steel boxes like 100, 200, 1,000 miles away from the battlefield. But not so when this letter was written. Rome was the superpower. And what made Rome so powerful were all those mighty soldiers who wielded the gladius, the Roman sword. And they were trained as mighty warriors with the gladius to skillfully thrust in places probing the enemy in their armor, looking for those divisions, looking for the soft spots so they could pierce the vital organ, the heart. That's the picture here. Devastating. Well, Rome and its sword is long gone, but the word of God is the weapon of all weapons because it wields eternal power, life and death, blessing and cursing. For by the word of God, the entire universe was created. By the word of his power and the power of his word were laid bare before the Lord. You see, the word of God is the standard by which we are all laid down next to and judged by. The authority. And to intensify God's warning, we have this mixed metaphor here. You see that? We have a picture of a physical Roman sword that pierces physical life. And we have a picture of a spiritual sword that pierces and divides soul from spirit. And this should put us on edge. No pun intended. We were created in the beginning 
Created in the image of God. Humanity has a beginning, but created in the image of God, we were to carry on for all eternity in fellowship and communion with the Lord. But because of sin and rebellion, we were judged. God's word of judgment and cursing, Adam and Eve were cut off from the Lord so that they experienced spiritual death, followed by physical death, followed by eternal judgment. Do you see the picture here? It's profound. Bones can't live without marrow. Souls cannot live without the Spirit. That's the picture that we're confronted with here. The Word of God that comes in judgment to pierce our hearts, to lay them bare, to expose the sin that still remains within us. And here's the warning for the church. It's sobering. God promises to bless faithful obedience, and he promises to curse faithless disobedience. So we need to heed the warning and know that God, who is the God of eternal love, who did not spare his own son, but offered him up for sinners like you and me, he uses his word to poke and to prod and to pierce because he loves us, and he wants our whole heart. He loves us so much that he deals with us so that we don't end up falling away. He pierces, he probes, he he moves into us by his word so that we confess our sin. We turn away from it. We turn yet again to the Lord Jesus. We receive grace upon grace. Doesn't this show his personal love for you and me? He gives us his son. He gives us his word. He keeps us along the path of active faith. You know, I'll never forget the, the hour that I first believed the gospel. I was begrudgingly listening to a sermon that I didn't want to be at. I didn't know the man, never met him. He didn't know me. But he seemed to know everything about me. He seemed to know about my brokenness, my fears, my sin, my rebellion, my indifference. And I actually thought it was a setup that someone had told this guy all about me, but that wasn't the case. In God's providence, he was just preaching the text for the day. But I was cut to the heart. It laid me bare. Has that happened to you? Well, you know what? It just keeps on happening, doesn't it? As we come under the word, it just keeps on happening. We hear the word. It's a two-edged sword. God's still dealing with us. He's still exposing what is in us that is not pleasing to him so that we can deal with it in the gospel and keep on moving towards our final rest with Christ in heaven. And it's because he wants your heart. Isn't that what David and Solomon get at time and again in the Psalms and the Proverbs? Oh, son, give me your heart. Well, the journey of living faith in Christ, it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the inner life of the soul. It's so important because the the way your heart goes is the way your life goes. If your heart falls, you fall. We still need the gospel work on us and in us and through us. That's why John Calvin said the the heart is an idol-making factory, even the redeemed heart, the old man, he's still churning out the idols. And the heart is like a labyrinth, this crazy maze. Who can understand it? Can you even understand your heart? 
But God does, and he pierces and he probes and he cuts to the heart of the matter because it's a matter of the heart. Well, the word of God, it's not only living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, but it's discerning because God's not just all-powerful, but he's all-knowing. And that's the, the conclusion of this warning here. Verse 13, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God's word is the standard that all our thoughts, all our words, all our actions are measured by, and he sees and knows everything. No one can hide anything from the Lord of glory. He knows it all. He sees it all. Do you see, brothers and sisters, that we're being warned about the hidden life of hypocrisy and that it's futile? You know, the life of say one thing and do another when nobody's looking. You can't do that before the Lord because he knows all. He sees all. So he deals with us. So even as we're struggling with sin and temptation and we know that God is good and loving and for us in Christ, and we also know that he knows all things and he knows our hearts so that we can cry out, Lord, you know all things. You know what I'm dealing with right now. You know what I'm struggling with right now. You know my fears and failures and my, my failings. So help me. Put more enmity in my heart for my sin and put more love in my heart for you, my faithful Savior. Give me what I need today to rise up in active faith, to struggle, to strive, to live a life of new obedience, even today. Well, it's because I know Christ was cut off from you, Father, as the Lamb, that I might know the joys of benediction and blessing. And even in the midst of my knowing that you know me, I can cry out, nothing can separate me from your love, O Lord, which is in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. But woe unto the person holding to cheap grace. Woe unto the person, the one who gives over to his pride and his self-love, the hypocrite who gives only lip service to the Lord but not heart devotion. God knows the heart and his word of judgment comes. Paul declares in Romans 2, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Hypocrite, I have a good word for you right now. The only reason that your heart is beating is because of God's loving kindness and mercy. And he's waiting for you to repent and receive Christ. That's the good word for you. So don't tempt him. Don't test the Lord. You've heard the gospel. He's calling you He's calling you to come. He's the one that gives new hearts. He's the one that gives living faith. And this is his simple command to you and to me to believe in the name of his son, Jesus, the Savior. And to love one another. That's the call. So this is sobering. Gospel warnings. Gospel gifts. All because of gospel grace. So are you being diligent today 
to actively live the life of active living faith out of the gift that you received in Christ, the power of the gospel? Do you actively put yourself under the word? Well, hallelujah, here you are on the Lord's day. Let it have its way with you. You can't stop it. Do you put yourself under the word day by day as you read, as you study, as you pray? Hallelujah. It's God's gift. That's the application. Everyone must deal ultimately and finally with the Lord every day. And especially on the day of days. It's coming. Be ready. For those in Christ, his word is life and he's the good and loving shepherd. Embrace him. Fill yourself up on Christ. Run the race of, of faith and repentance, trusting and resting in Christ. And as you do that, it'll be a race of rejoicing, even when your feet hurt, because Christ carries us. Let's pray. Almighty God, we love you because you first loved us. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you would quicken in our hearts greater faith, hope, and love in you and for you, that you'd fill us all the more afresh by your Holy Spirit, that we would receive your word of love, the gift of God in Christ, your words of warning, that we would heed them, and that we would cast ourselves wholly upon you, Lord Jesus, that you would carry us all the way home, fill us with the power that raised you from the dead, that we might live lives of active faith, reflecting your glorious grace, that our lives would proclaim to all around, praise be to God, our great Savior King, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.